This is Air Quality Matters, and welcome back to part two of my conversation with Pavel Wargotsky. And I, th- I think the, the value of risk framing is that it identifies the gaps and in the gaps lie the opportunity to frame exactly. the benefits. And yeah, that's, where the indus- that's where industry generally steps in and starts trying to sell stuff. But it, 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 is, it, it has been very true for me, certainly through the pandemic, that risk has been a very useful tool for framing ventilation and air quality because it doesn't have to operate in the world of absolutes. It can take a judge, make a judgment call. People's tolerances of risks are different. Exactly. It has ways of managing risk without having to have all of the answers. The hierarchies of control have been around forever and are a very good way of managing risk in the built mm. environment. But it's in those gaps that are identified through that process that those opportunities mm. lie. And that's exactly. where we need to get better at building the business case, perhaps. Um, and I think you and I have been around long enough to know that probably the solutions to all of this is going to be everything. It's not one thing or another. Um, and, and while there's a lot of carrot opportunities out there, we also need the stick. And that's where standards come to bear. Um, but standards have struggled with air quality, I think. It's fair to say they've they've tended to hold in the world of aerolic performance and ventilation performance and not stray too far into air quality because there's been an uncertainty in drawing a line between air quality exactly. outcomes and exactly. health outcomes. Exactly. But I think we're getting there. Um, but we're seeing a lot of standards starting to pop up now that are thinking about air quality, whether it's LEED or WELL or BRIAM or RESET or air rated uh, or indeed tail we're starting to try and frame air quality now within our built mm. environment standards I agree. I agree. tell me a little bit about tail and where that project came from because originally it was an academic <laughs> project i think that developed into a standard oh, didn't right. it really well, we hope it will develop into uh, a standard, uh, either tail or any sort of a similar metric or rating scheme that um, uh, that can be developed. Uh, and the tail is uh, a sort of a prototype of that. Um, but com- coming back to your uh, standards of, uh, you know, LEED, uh, BRIAM and all, uh, I think... Um, those standards use um, credit points uh, for assessing air quality, so they do not, or indoor environmental quality generally, so they do not uh, address the actual conditions. Um, in a sense, they only provide the credits for achieving a certain levels, which uh, then it's very difficult to assess how many credits you should get for one type of a solution or another. Uh, although I, I feel that this is a very important part, that it is integrated in the overall strategy for certification of a building, that it uh, uh, that the part of the indoor environmental quality, although very small, 
percentage of the credits is given to this, but there is some uh, credits given. Uh, it, it is important, sometimes it is forgotten uh, to, today when we talk about decarbonization, very often the groups that they talk about decarbonization do not even consider indoor environmental quality as an important topic uh, to be discussed. Uh, but coming back to tail, um, tail is a one, tail actually, how to say, it's um, sort of a random development or we did not plan it. So I did not have a plan in, in my research that I need to develop the um, the rating scheme uh, or we need to develop rating scheme. Although maybe I had it, but in my in the back of my mind, I, it was not like my priority. So um, I have had a lot of discussions with the industry and the industry was actually complaining about the lack of a possibility to document uh, the effects. And uh, when always they were referring to uh, productivity or the work um, uh, efficiency that they, they have no any metric that they can document this. So this is why they do not uh, are not introducing this information or applying it in the buildings. Um, but then I uh, started to understand that probably the problem there is more uh, related to the fact that we do not um, monitor the conditions in a building. So that if we can monitor conditions in a building and compare the conditions in a buildings, and then on top of that levels that we monitor, we can attach some information about the harm that is generated or consequences for learning uh, and productivity, then we will probably be, be better off and much easier communicate this information to the industry. So the opportunity arose during a project that was called Aldren. And this project, Aldren, was the European Commission funded project that actually focused on creating arguments to increase the um, the number of uh, retrofits, energy ret deep energy retrofits uh, in office buildings and in hotels. So the idea was to, in which way we can provide the strong arguments that this is the way how, that it's a good investment basically to do the retrofit. and. Uh, among many ways, the many arguments that were that, uh, discussed, one was um, build, creating a building passport, one was to avoid the gap between simulation and actual performance, and then there was some sort of um, calibration or development of a standard simulation tool so that you can, with the simulation, compare the buildings across uh, each other. There was the development of the methodology for the rating of indoor environmental quality. But it was not very well defined at that time. The idea was that according to the EPBD, which is uh, Energy Performance of Building Directive, any energy retrofit should not uh, generate the risk that for health and comfort for the building occupants, meaning that you should at least stay at the same level as you were before a retrofit. And then once you document this, you, uh, there was also another issue is was the economic benefit uh, that is related to the retrofit. 
uh, from the energy saving, but also from the improving indoor environmental quality. So what we did is we tried to scan the uh, literature to identify some sort of uh, measures of indoor environmental quality or what are uh, the measures that are used or recommended in different you know standards uh, and certification uh, tools and we we found out that basically there is no any standard so different standards different certification tools and different groups that are making measurements of indoor environmental quality in buildings use different methods and it's very difficult to compare across those measurements because of course, there are some basic parameters which are the same, but they are different. So we, we were not able to sort of say, okay, if we refer to that standard, we could use this type of metric to, to measure indoor environmental quality. And we decided to develop our own rating scheme. And uh, that happened basically overnight. I, I had a dream about Dale, to be honest. It happened like this. And then... I, I presented it to my colleagues from France, and then uh, we started to develop, build on this idea of having four components of inter-environmental quality and have a very crude uh, methodology in a sense that it can be applied in practice. So we didn't want to develop anything that is too sophisticated, so it would not be, you know, um, it could not be applied. So if you have to, let's say, measure a pollutant with the sophisticated um, instrumentation, um, analytical instrumentation that will cost a lot of money, no one will basically apply that. But at the same time, we want to develop something that uh, has some fundamentals, so it is reliable. And also, we did not want to develop our own reference um, uh, uh, ex exposure levels or reference levels. So what we wanted to do also, we wanted to, to refer to the existing standards and documents and guidelines. So in this way, we developed, you know, TAIL, which has four components, thermal, and only temperature in it that refers to the standard. Then uh, A, which is acoustic environment, again, only sound pressure level to be debated whether this is a good, but it is in the standard. So we we selected this one. And then uh, I, which is indoor air quality, I come back to this, it's much more complicated. And L, which is luminous environment, the visual environment. And here we wanted to address two aspects. is a daylight, which is a, a very much debated. And um, we have methods to simulate daylight factor, and then um, overall illuminance level. And then I, which is indoor air quality, and here we had a lot of troubles because this is basically CO2 and ventilation rate. Ventilation rate difficult to measure, but it's in the standards, so we had to put it in. And CO2 also does not actually provide information about the overall pollution in a, in a building, uh, but it is measured and referred to. So we want, we, we included it. And then we included other parameters which are on WHO list and extended it with mold, uh, which is, because of the hotel issue are sort of a residential. And then 
we also uh, and I think that's all uh, and I think uh, we covered very well and selected only few pollutants not all of them so we wanted to represent the pollution that is or the pollutants that uh, may come from outside and then the pollutants that are uh, have indoor sources so yeah. we have formaldehyde we have a uh, benzene um, uh, we have a new tale for schools that has not been yet um, uh, we did not publish uh, yet the paper which where we have also an um, o2 and um, we also have a reverber reverberation time in acoustic uh, parameter but nevertheless so uh, we wanted to represent the exposures or the pollutants that have indoor sources and outdoor sources to extend our this information that it's not only co2 that is uh, sort of a marker of all the types of pollutants but also that we have ingredients that are coming from outside and uh, from inside other pollutants so one important topic about tail is and it's a, a lot of the debate about this is that we do not uh, compromise on any of those pollutants so if any of those pollutants is uh, of any of those parameters is the lowest class the overall indoor environmental quality is considered as the lowest class so um, the idea here is that we do not weigh the components against each other to say in many other uh, systems there is a weighting method that is proposed usually it is equal weighting so you would say 25% to T 25% to A 25% to I and 25% to L in our approach we don't want any of those parameters to be compromised in a sense that uh, because we don't know their combined effect we can come back and discuss combined effects here but so we because we don't know so better not to compromise any of those it's a similar to what is done with the um, ambient pollution some of the uh, ambient pollution metrics and uh, water yeah. where you know the the quality of water is determined by the pollutant with the highest concentration right not you know average of the pollutants that are monitored uh, in the water so it's a still so we, we wanted to use the same approach here to steal a term from some of the other standards that there are some preconditions baked into that that means that if you don't hit it if you're above a certain threshold you get a zero score or a low score regardless of what the others are it's not a right. a combination of all of them because otherwise you'll end up with a tvoc effect won't you you could have a relatively decent score but a very high level of one pollutant and none of the others and still have a high risk so you do need to countenance that with look if you're above that's this threshold right. that's it you know it's a, it's a poor score do you apply any of that logic to any of the other parameters in t and a and l are there certain thresholds that if you go i'm trying to think right we, comfort, we if it's we below 16 degrees yeah such, yeah because uh, we um i think except uh, the who uh I'll have to now recall, but at least what we do is we have a certain bands in which the parameter yeah. uh, can can uh, uh, occur. So it's not a single threshold uh, approach. 
So uh, a sort of that have been I have participated once in a debate where people were complaining about the red lines that are created. For example, if standard defines 23 degrees, so if you are 23.1, it means what? So you're outside, the, or are you still, you know? So, so ben, what we create is a the band. Same ben, ben, band. Ben makes the same argument with um, with the harm indexes: is that a threshold is useful, but it doesn't tell you what happens if you're ten percent above it or ten percent below it. It doesn't give you a a, a, exactly. a weighting of any description. It's it's quite binary and similar with what you're saying there. Right. I mean, so we have a certain band, and if you are in this band, you will still, you know, uh, meet the uh, the requirements, and then you will stay in that class. So we don't have single thresholds here, um, which also we need to be reasonable. There are no instruments that, you know, will be having that accuracy, you know. Yeah. So we need to allow for a certain, and no one will die if it's 23.1, you know, um, uh, uh, here. So we have to be reasonable. Uh, so so we also accommodate this. We provide information on how to perform the measurements and so on and so on. So, uh, we, we develop a sort of a system for um, um, uh, rating the indoor environmental quality. Mm. It's pretty simple. It is based on what the evidence that is out there. So it is not something that, you know, sort of we come up with some new information. We basically, what we did is we put together all the information that is there and we put in certain framework, in a sense. Um, and it seems like many people like it because of many reasons. I don't know why, but maybe this is one of the reasons that is actually something that has been already in use, but put in a certain, you know, frame that, uh, can provide information. Uh, tail was introduced during pandemic, uh, in 2020. So, um, many people didn't know about this and now it is coming through. More and more groups are getting to know it. Um, we try to develop the sensor uh, for tail, a sort of a set of sensors. And uh, uh, if we have it, we will make it public so people can, anyone can can build the sensor for themselves. Um, there are other risks related to that. Uh, we can also, we haven't discussed this about the sensors. Is the um, cross calibration of sensors, uh, something that, that the, the issue that has to be very strongly addressed. The fact that you have the same sensor even from the same producer may not mean that the sensor is measuring the same thing. So the, you need to have some sort of form of cross calibration. Uh, some sort of a meter, you know, a uh, standard meter like we had uh, uh, in the past, right, in, uh, in France, uh, that we can compare against. Um, so, um, but we want to make it accessible in a sense. So we don't want to, we don't want the tail to be sort of exclusive solution for the exclusive club. Uh, and this is not the uh, criticism of uh, certification schemes and other standards that are available, but we, we want tail to become, you know, uh, fairly inexpensive method of uh, monitoring the inter environmental quality. Uh, and our interest is that we start to develop um, 
um, a sort of a benchmark uh, against which we can compare the different environments because this benchmark is a limiting lack of this benchmark is a limiting factor of developing the solutions or maybe looking at the already existing solutions which perform very good so this is also the area that we have not been discussing and coming back to that risk reduction is we are in always focusing on buildings that underperform rather than focusing on buildings that perform very well what is it that cause that those buildings are performed very well compared to the other buildings and, and that's the value of some of these standards you know is that it you know you're going for a job interview and one of them's a platinum a lead well building exactly. and the other one isn't which one are you going to go for a job in you know like it's that competitiveness of the market that is one of the, the carrots that i think we can use to I push agree. this I agree. you know i agree um, and that, then it can also be introduced, you know, even as a carrot when you talk about the residential environments. So you are looking, you are looking for a business case that can create actually a business case. We we are considering how we can put a harm uh, or, or put the, you know, somehow put some economic value uh, on those different levels of, um, that were uh, defined in tail. And even if they are small, they can provide maybe sufficient argument sometimes or uh, incentive uh, for making a decision to improve the environment. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I think the risk and to play devil's advocate at the moment is that there are so many organizations in this space at the moment. We've just seen lead version five. I think it is come out. That's now got more of a focus on air quality. Well is making very good inroads into real estate, but they're just releasing a residential um, mm. standard, which will score individual properties. It's a once off test. Um, which will provide that competition. Look, I'm in a house with a 76 score and you're only 45 next door. Why is that? Well, because that's because I've got the cooker hood extractor and you haven't kind of thing. Exactly. Um, so so there's a lot of those kind of standards. And then then we have others like reset and aerated and, and a whole bunch of them. The risk is it there's a lot of noise. Uh, um, and th th while you need competition, you, you could also create uncertainty with that as well uh, of what is the right standard. Um, mm -hmm. You're right. And it's an interesting difference, I think, between tail the, with the likes of well and lead. While there are certain preconditions you have to hit, they're very limited that, you know, they'll only generally deal with not smoking and some basic air quality mm -hmm. parameters. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, they're not. You don't really get a score per se for the air quality of that building. It's it, the building mm -hmm. as a whole is is achieving a certain standard. So that there isn't a lot of stuff out there that says actually this is a here's a number on it that you can actually lead to. It's not not necessarily a threshold and a standard, but a, at least a target. Say, look, I want this building to be at least a seventy five or a forty two or whatever good looks like we're not really doing that very well um mm. the risk is with industry is that the moment this gets traction and any element of industry sees it as a risk you find it will come down pretty heavy on it pretty quickly because they'll think it's going to risk sales of x y or z 
and we've seen exactly. that with the, we've seen that with the lo- the latest recast of EPBD being watered oh, down yeah. and watered down and watered down and watered down, and we know it has where that's fun. coming from. But that 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 is some. I don't know whether has it been published already. I think it. I think it went through the tri factor factor whatever it's called and is has been published. I think indoor environmental quality was, or I think indoor environmental quality was kept because it was fairly generic, but they didn't focus on indoor air quality very much. There's some concerns over controls uh, in. In non-residential setting, controls are generally managed by the controls industry, which is fair enough, the Schneiders, the Johnson controls of this world. But in the residential sector, control of air quality is generally managed by the ventilation industry. And I know there's been some concern that they haven't separated residential from commercial, and and it means that there isn't a clear home for the control of air quality in the residential sector. Because... Schneider isn't going to be controlling the residential sector's buildings, you know, whereas they will the Deloitte's headquarters building in Frankfurt, right. I'd say. But, but I have seen the uh, approved version, or the, the one that is voted on. And, but I'm not sure what it's public, so I'm not sure what I can be talking about it, but that, that is an important, maybe I can say a few words, is there is an important uh, statement is in this Article 11 that, that says that each member country shall, and I repeat again, shall develop the measures of indoor environmental quality. So in a sense, there have been debate about whether what was proposed in the earlier version of this article would be approved by different countries. Uh, but now those proposed parameters are removed. All of them are basically, there's none, none, none of them is mentioned, but there is this uh, an important statement that there are some ways of monitoring indoor environmental quality shall be developed, mean, means that they must be developed, right? So there is that disadvantage that um, different countries will develop um, different ways, uh, different methods. And again, it will create, you know, the situation that you cannot compare. And, um, uh, but maybe in the, you know, the global economy that we have, it, in, in the end, there will be a similar way. Uh, EPP did not want to take responsibility for this, I think. So it, probably what they are saying is, they call for establishing establishing a different committees to discuss that how to do it, and yeah. uh, one way of doing it is basically to look what is out there and maybe adapt it. Uh, one way of doing it is maybe to pick up tail or any other uh, scheme or framework that can fit in or build on this. So what I'm trying to say is, tail can be a sort of a fundament, and then. If you have tail in any measurement or any metric that you develop, then you will be able to compare, at least on that set of parameters. If you want to add more parameters, add them. Maybe they should be even reduced tail. I mean, who knows? But at least we need to have a certain core of parameters that we agree on, uh, because that will allow us to, uh, again, I repeat it over and over again, but we really need to 
somehow um, create benchmarks. And the best example for me is uh, iPhone uh, or any other smartphone. You know that they basically develop from year to year with the new model, but the development of the new model is based on the information that was collected for the previous model. So what are the needs? What are the preferences? Which parts do not work? Which work? If And we don't have that in the built environment. We don't have that metric or that methodology, actually. You can't manage what you don't measure. You know, it comes exactly. back to that every time. Um, exactly. Where can people find Tail if they want to? Go? Well, I'll put a link actually in the, yeah, in the that, podcast for an, people to go to. It's an open yeah. access uh, yeah. article. Together with this, we developed so-called predict Tail because after we developed Tail, people were complaining, what about the designers if they want to achieve a certain level of Tail and the building is under retrofit or is being built? So what they should do? So... We sort of developed the methodology on how to predict with the simulation tools uh, what the level of tail could be in a building or what decisions that you take during design process, how they will affect the components of tail. It's probably more like this. The actual tail has to be measured in the actual building. So it is a methodology of um, how to say... Um, navigating your decisions uh, so certain decision may have an effect on energy and then maybe they will reduce significantly energy but they will affect some components of tail so then you can basically value them against away them against each other brilliant um we'll leave epbd behind because i think that's one <laughs> for the beginning of a podcast rather than the end of a podcast um I'd love to hear a little bit about DTU, Pavel, because, I mean, any ventilation paper that you seem to care to look up will either have <laughs> you or one of your colleagues cited on it, it seemed. I was very lucky, very lucky to be uh, given a tour around your facilities there uh, last year, and it's uh, an amazing place from aircraft fuselages to, to atmospheric chambers dating back to before I was born, that there's a an amazing heritage there in DTU, isn't there, on ventilation and air quality. Describe right. describe the place to us, because it's hard, hard to picture it. Well, it's located north of Copenhagen, a very beautiful area. Um, uh, uh, there is a huge campus and there is a one building um, its uh, number is 402 and the other one is 412 and where our group is located. In building 412 or 412, we have our facilities. And uh, this embraces like 12 different types of chambers. So we have a classical atmospheric chambers, also climatic chambers. Uh, there are a few that are made of stainless steel, and there is one especially developed for the thermal comfort studies. Interestingly, uh, there is still the old chamber for the thermal comfort studies, which is in the building uh, in the where in the past our university was in the city, and there's still in the basement of one of the buildings there is an old chamber when some of the work on PMV was done actually over there uh, as well. 
but we don't use it. We use uh, only the chamber here. Then we have uh, three larger chambers uh, in which of in one of them we have a mock-up of uh, Boeing 300 something. I don't remember which number. Uh, 837, I think. 837, I think, or something like this. And then. Um, there are two other chambers which uh, are used now for some energy research, and one is actually converted into the bedroom. Then we have a normal office spaces, which were uh, no one's no, chambers that we call field chambers. These are spaces, normal office spaces that were converted so that they can provide uh, uh, space for the research with human subjects or any other research. Uh, and they are not that well controlled as the climatic chambers. So altogether, there is 12 of those. And so this is very unique facility in a sense that we can do the fundamental studies. We can do something in between fundamental studies. And actually, we can even model the, now you call it a, a living lab, a sort of this field lab is just a living lab. And then, uh, of course, we can do the measurements also in our offices. Um, um, th that would be the classical living lab. But we know too much about this, so it's better not to involve us in, in those experiments. So this is what we have. Then we have instrumentation that support the measurements, and we have collaboration with other groups uh, that would provide necessary uh, instrumentation to us. For example, we don't have very sophisticated uh, instrumentation for the chemical measurements, but we have collaboration with other groups that can provide that uh, measurement. And they would, they, they are interested to come because of the facility, basically, because we can perform the measurements in parallel in different chambers. So this is very unique. But I think the uniqueness of the group is not only facility, is also how many people there are that are working on a similar not on the same, but on a similar topic. So we have like group of 20 people who are working on the aspects of indoor environmental quality from different points of view. Some people look at the exposure, some people on a human behavior, some on the thermal environment, some of the energy impacts of those. Some people are working on fundamental research, uh, physiological responses, and so on and so on. So we can provide a wide spectrum of the uh, um, um, results that uh, base, and also we can learn from each other. So in many groups, there are maybe one or two people or three people that at the maximum that work on this topic. Here we have like, you know, the big group that can do. And also we have a lot of guests coming in. So uh, they, they would like to be a part of this and participate in this uh, research. So this is, the, this is the advantage. I think the huge advantage is that we are so many people working on that topic. So we are not isolated. So I, I'm not isolated in my office doing my research only on indoor environmental quality. Next door, there's another person also working on indoor environmental quality. And down the corridor, there's also someone. So that is the advantage of that. And this is why it has been built over many, many years, starting with the lab, doing mostly the work on thermal environment and developing into air quality. And in 98, we got uh, substantial funding from a research council that allowed us to, to sort of develop a school 
of environmental quality. And uh, we are still, fortunately, <laughs> Uh, are able to do it and uh, generate sufficient funding to support our activities. Most of our activities are, are from external funding. So we, except for the salary to some of our um, uh, employees, it, it basically the, and of course, the contribution to the facilities. So running facilities cost the energy and so on and so on. And then, you know, they, they are in the building. So but except for that, uh, we bring all the research uh, funding from outside, uh, not from the university. Does Denmark have a um, a building research organization like similar to the CSTB and the BRE in the UK, or uh, does that tend to come out of the academic have. institutions now? We used to have, and then there was a reform maybe 10 years ago or something like this, where the, um, those research institutions were integrated into the university. So uh, most of them, they are part of the university, and uh, we, used a build, we had a building research institute uh, called SBI in the past, similar to building research establishment in um, UK and CSTB in France and so on and so on. But now it's a part of the Olborg University or that group is a part of the Olborg University. So we don't have as such, but we have within the universities, this, is, uh, this research is covered. And also they still perform substantial amount of work for the government. Um, so that there are some sort of uh, um, projects that are um, offered by the government for them to perform. And how did you end up in DTU? You're, you're now a professor at DTU. <laughs> uh, congratulations. Oh, thank um, you. What was, what was your journey into oh, that... indoor air quality? How, how did you find yourself where you are? Those who are not, who are on LinkedIn can read about this uh, long journey. Um, it's a very short description of that. It, all of it happened by accident. So I am a graduate of the Warsaw University of Technology. And actually, interestingly, my master thesis was on heating. Not It was not on uh, air quality. At that time, I was not at all interested in air quality uh, or indoor environmental quality as a whole, because now this is the area which I am stepping in and I start to appreciate how important the other uh, domains uh, are. Um, but um, uh, no, not now. I have appreciated them all the time, but I didn't have opportunity to examine that or study that. So, um, and uh, interestingly, my, the topic of my master thesis was to, we were um, developing the heating system uh, integrated with the extract ventilation, and we used the, the heat from the air that was extracted to heat the domestic hot water. It was in the 90, and at that time it was a uh, very modern. Uh, and later on in Denmark, I don't know whether other countries they maybe still use, but in Denmark it was very popular basically to use domestic heat water by um, uh, reusing the energy from the extract there uh, in dwellings. So, and um, I came to Denmark for a short stay as a student. Um, and uh, I met Fanger at that time. And then when I started to work in uh, at the tech, uh, Warsaw University of Technology, um, 
I applied for additional fund uh, for extra scholarship to come back to Denmark because I liked uh, the area or the discipline. Fanga introduced to me sensory ratings of air quality. We were we are actually working on a project in which we looked at the fragrances and how they affect whether we can mask the bad odors with fragrances, basically. And just just the explain. Was, we, we we could not. So basically, people prefer clean air from more than fragrance uh, added air. But anyway, and then I come back in '93 uh, for a four months period, and uh, which was extended. I was uh, invited to participate in the project developing um, actually standard atmosphere uh, representing the air uh, that is in in the buildings. We were not able to develop that, but we were working on it, and then I applied for a PhD. I got a PhD, and at the end of the PhD, the, our International Center of Indian Environment was formed, and I got the uh, offer to, to to continue the work here. So, I mean, I did not plan it from the start. In fact, my parents played a very important role because I, when I came as a student to Denmark, I was applying to go to UK. And then I got the um, offer to come to Denmark. And at that time, I didn't know much about Denmark, to be honest. Um, I'm sorry to say that uh, for the, uh, for those who from Denmark who are listening to our podcast is that uh, basically I did not know much about Denmark. But my parents convinced me to go. And then I met Fanga. My most important research during my PhD was done actually outside the period of my PhD when Fanga asked me, oh, why don't you do an additional experiment? And then it turned out to be the most important experiment. So all of it happened by accident in a sense, but uh, uh, it is a nice flow and I'm very happy that uh, it happened. And for those who don't know who Fanga was, he was one of the pioneers really in the indoor environment wasn't he yes exactly yeah and what kind of stuff are you working on now what are the projects that are pushing okay. your buttons and, and getting you excited so of course tail is you know we don't have a sort of a we have some small funding now for tail further developments uh so uh, there is a development uh, for tail for schools uh there is we have a phd student in uh, cstb in the, in france who will be delivering his thesis soon so we adapted tail to schools we hope that this adaptation is really a, an important step and we will present some nice results to document that and then in tail we also try to develop the, the sensor uh, for tail or tail meter in a sense and then try to put some economic value on those different levels as well uh, so tail is uh, is sort of a development that is uh, ongoing and I mentioned sleep research. Uh, actually, the last three or four years that have been very intensive uh, sleep research that is ta- was taking place here. We have less activities now on that topic, uh, although there are some students who are interested to perform. So we can do with a smaller um, uh, resources to continue. Uh, where we looked at the effects of ventilation or air quality on sleep quality, and we we sort of developed the levels of ventilation that are necessary in uh, bedrooms to avoid the disturbance to sleep. We don't know the physiological consequences of that, but we we think that it's probably 
this is where we should be now we want to further advance this and look at the aspects of overheating because the climate change um, there is a lot of research on sleep and thermal environment we want to figure out how we can where the limits are so what what would be the sort of a threshold temperature um, in bedroom uh, to avoid sleep disturbance because we can adapt of course with our clothing and of course a uh, duvet and bed linen and then also particle pollution uh, we found the particle pollution is important for sleep we also look at the low relative humidity actually we are running now the study in which we look at the low relative humidity uh, effects on sleep humidity came back to and there is a lot of discussion about humidity because of the pandemic and the uh, influence or uh, impact of uh, relative humidity on um, viruses and then uh, it's it's open up the debate about what is a low relative humidity level that we accept is it 10 percent is it 20 percent 30 percent or 40 percent and so on <clears throat> so uh this is uh the sleep quality uh research then um then we start the important research i think that has not that has not so much research on this is the interactions of different parameters in indoor environments so again we never exposed indoors to only light or only noise or only elevated temperatures, for example, or only, you know, pollution. Uh, we are exposed to the mixture of all of those parameters. So we need to understand how they act on each other and how they, in those different combinations, how they um, uh, influence our um, uh, uh responses and we have two students which will look at this aspect and this is interesting because what we want to understand is the um two points here is one is our uh, limits of adaptation uh, because if we talk about the energy and uh, reduction of energy use and uh, re reducing the impact on climate change of all the solutions that we use in the buildings, we need to understand where are our limits of adaptation with respect to the different uh, parameters indoors. And uh, so this would, we will be looking at this, but more in a complex way, uh, in a sense, looking on all the parameters, not only on one parameter. And uh, for this purpose, we will be trying to establish the some sort of a model that defines how those parameters interact and affect our cognitive performance this is a very complicated uh, topic and we have to be very how to say prudent in a sense that define exactly what we want to do here and we will probably focus only on offices here uh, and maybe with some uh, interest also uh, look also a little bit on the schools but mainly on offices and see under certain conditions uh, of the uh, different indoor environmental parameters, which of them they will be inhibiting and which will be promoting our work, our office work. Um, there is another topic, and I will be speaking about this during my inaugural talk for the professorship, which will be on March 8, actually, and I intend to have it online. So if you're interested, you can join. Is uh, what measures of cognitive performance we should use now with the prevalent use of uh, artificial intelligence. So 
what is it what kind of skills that we should be looking at so this is another topic that we will be considering here and the other topic is more related to creating again incentives uh, for improving uh, indoor environmental quality on how much we are uh, willing to pay for um, improvements to indoor environmental quality or how much we are on the other hand we can look how much we are going we are able to sacrifice so in a sense um, so it's looking from two different uh, situations so if we want to create indoor environmental quality which is um, optimum uh, or the best for us how much we will be uh, how much we can pay for it um, so are we, we we will be like for the utilities you know for the electricity and for the uh, energy we, we pay so now what about if we want to create the optimal thermal environment so how much we we, we can actually uh, we can pay for it and then on the other hand we can think about is um where are again our limits you know uh, of adaptation so what how much we can sacrifice because of the high cost for example so with no negative effects so in a sense if creating the optimal thermal environment or maybe low temperature that i prefer will cost me a lot of money so where is my level of you know where is my threshold that I I can accept maybe sl slightly elevated temperatures uh, with no negative consequences uh, for other aspects of life, of course, or well-being, you know, life quality uh, to avoid uh, not to maybe overcool, for example, or uh, not to overventilate or something like this. It so sounds this is another like area that we will be looking at. It sounds like DTU is one to watch then over the next few years. There's going to be an awful lot coming out as ever. Pavel, that's been fascinating couple of hours with you as ever. Oh, Thanks oh, thank you. so much for your time. Um, oh, thank and you. uh, I, look, I look forward to catching up with you soon and I'll, I'll be sure to log into the inauguration. And that sounds like a fascinating talk also.